Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. We've been talking about some things that pertain to the life of faith. And we want to continue along those lines. But first, let me review just some of the things that we've been discussing that pertain to the life of faith. How many of you know, first of all, that the Bible says the just shall live by faith? The just shall live by faith. Amen? In other words, we are to conduct our lives by faith. This realm of life in which we live is not to dictate to us. We're not to be dominated by the spirit of this world system or the dictates of the flesh or of our emotional feelings. We are to live our lives by faith. In other words, by what we believe according to what God has said. The Apostle Paul said that I believe and therefore I speak. And he believes according to that which was spoken. What God says is what is as far as he was concerned. And even though his senses may disagree, even though his emotional feelings may disagree, he's saying that the just are to live by faith, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We live our lives by what God says and acting on what God says not by what our feelings dictate to us or by what physical evidences dictate to us. So the life that we live, beloved, is one of faith. The just shall live by faith. Now, things that pertain to faith include, number one, calling things which be not as though they were. And we expounded somewhat on that recently. We can approach faith from many different angles. When you climb the mountaintop, you have different views, don't you? It's the same mountain, but you have different views, and things look different when you get up there. Well, the same thing is true concerning the life of faith. We can study the same Scriptures, but glean different truths from those Scriptures as we emphasize one thing or another from that Scripture or from that subject. And concerning faith, we said, calling things which be not as though they were is something that pertains to the life of faith. The Bible says that God does that. And if we are to have the faith of God, which we are, then we also are to call things which be not as though they were. Another thing we talked about that pertains to faith is looking at things that are not seen. Now, according to 2 Corinthians 4.18, we are taught not to look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, or they're subject to change, but the things that are not seen, those things are eternal. So the life of faith then pertains to looking at things that are not seen. How do you do that? We're used to looking at things that we see, and the things that we see want to dominate our lives. Well, we are to look at God's Word and discover what it says about things that are not visible to the naked eye. And then begin to steadfastly look at those things, of course, with great diligence and intensity, so that those things become more real to us than the things that are seen. And we're not fooling around here. This is what the life of faith is all about. Let's be realistic. We've never seen Jesus. 
Have you seen Jesus as far as in a flesh and bone body here upon this earth with blood? We've never seen Jesus. There were eyewitnesses. But Jesus has since departed. He is at the right hand of the Father. But you know what? I believe He lives. I know He lives. It's beyond belief. I know He lives. I know it as well as I know my name. He's alive and He's well. Well, how did you conclude that? By looking at the Word of God. Steadfastly. And you can see truths once again. You can see beyond the realm of the natural into the supernatural realm. And you can experience reality. Then we also said concerning faith or things that pertain to faith that we are to deal with the things that are seen by tapping into those things that are not seen. In other words, don't just look at those things and be satisfied that they're there. Look at those things and begin to apply the principles of God's Word to your life so that you can do what? Change the circumstances that surround you in life. In other words, tap into the resources of the spiritual life to affect change in this realm of life in which we live. He is not a dead God. Amen. He is alive, a living God, and wants to be actively involved in the affairs of our lives. Every single one of us. He is concerned about that which concerns each and every one of us. And He wants us to learn how to tap into what He has provided. Why? So that we can affect change in our lives here upon this earth. He wants us to experience Him in reality. And that includes every area of life. We went on to say that faith also is of the heart. Faith is of the heart. This is something that also pertains to faith. Faith is of the heart. It's not just the confession of our lips speaking out those truths that we have received from the Word of God. Just with our lips. Because Jesus said we can honor Him with our lips, but our hearts can be far from Him. It is realizing or recognizing that faith is of the heart. There is a confession of the heart as well as a confession of the mouth. When these two confession, confessions harmonize and both embrace the Word of God, then we'll experience reality. Then change will take place. Then we will create a dynamic force for God here upon this earth. So once again, it's not just a confession of our lips. It is a confession of our heart and our lips, both agreeing with and embracing the Word of God that creates a powerful force for God here upon this earth. Now, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, we find, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Our Father, we thank you for your Word. We know we can trust our lives to its provisions. And we know that your word has been tested and tried, found good, faithful, trustworthy, and true. We thank you for the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we thank you that we are doers of your word and not hearers only. Our ears shall hear, our hearts will receive, our minds are open, and we will not be distracted. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word in the power of the Spirit, that our faith would continue to be, not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Here is another truth that pertains to the life of faith. Faith 
worketh by love, or faith is energized. That word there, worketh, actually means energized by love. Now, notice the Scripture in its full context and meaning. For in Jesus Christ, we are in Christ. If we've been born again, then we are in Christ. We have the life and the nature of God. He says, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew who got saved, a completed Jew, or if you were a Gentile, one who was without hope and without God in the world, none of that matters anymore. What matters now that you are in Christ. See, if you were a Jew, now you're in Christ. You were a Jew, that's past, but now you're in Christ. If you were a Gentile outside of Christ, without hope, without God, a stranger, a foreigner, and all that, now that you've been born again, you are in Christ. So whether you're a Jew or whether you were a Gentile, now you're in Christ, part of the family of God, of the household of faith, and what is essential, what is of primary and paramount importance is what? Your faith being energized by love. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing here by the Spirit to these people. Don't be bickering and complaining about all these other things. Is the Jew better off because of his background and all that? The Gentile doesn't have as much as the Jew has and all that. Stop fighting, bickering about all these things. Not going to amount to anything. What you should be concerned about is whether or not your faith is being energized by love. So, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, this is important to you. It's important to me. Is my faith being energized by love? Love, then, becomes the energizing force to our faith. If our faith is going to be productive, if our faith is going to be great faith, if it's going to be a dynamic force for God here upon this earth through my life, then my faith life must be energized by love. The word there that's used for love in the Greek is agape. A-G-A-P-E, agape, love. And what it is, is divine love. If faith is to be powerful, then it must be energized by agape. And I only point that out for this reason. In the English language, which is not as precise or as accurate as the Greek language is, we use the term or the word love loosely. And we don't give it its proper meaning, and therefore we don't have proper understanding. We say things like, I love sports. I love animals. I love to eat. I love flowers. I love art. Boy, I just love art. I just love communication. I just love that course I'm in. And we love all these different things. And then we say, I love God. I love my wife, I love my husband, I love my children. And we use that one word to describe how we feel about all these different things. You need to be very careful that you don't say, I love animals and I love my wife in the same breath. You can understand why. Obviously, we have a certain type of love for an animal... But we have another type of love for our mates and for our children and also for God. 
But you see, in the English language, we just say, I love. But in the Greek language, there are different words for love that give us better understanding about love. The first word is this, eros, E-R-O-S, in the Greek. And it just means uh, physical attraction. Or the lowest type of love, which is a sexual, physical type of love. And when you're a young person, a teenager, and you have these feelings about another person because you're physically attracted to that person, you describe that or define that as being in love. I love that person. Well, you have feelings that you're describing as love, but it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you have those feelings that you are in that kind of love, the deepest kind of love for that person, or that you have the deepest kind of love for that person. It means you have a physical attraction. You are physically attracted to that person. And, of course, we understand that that is a part of life because that is the way that God made each and every one of us. We didn't make ourselves. We didn't set these things in motion. God did. How many of you know that God made Eve? How many of you know that when God made Adam and gave him everything, it was all perfect, the environment was perfect, and everything was beautiful? No flaws. No imperfections whatsoever. We know that, don't we? But he was still alone, wasn't he? How many of you know that when he caused the deep sleep to come upon the man Adam, that God brought forth from his side Eve, presented her to him as his bride, his wife, thus instituting and ordaining the holy relation of marriage. And when Adam saw Eve, he said, I'll be back in a moment. I've got other things that, are, that I have to tend to. Got to play around a golf. I must have a different translation than yours. How many of you know that we can't really translate the word that he used to describe what he saw? All he can say was, my goodness, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I mean, think about all the beautiful things that God created, all the wonderful things he created in a perfect environment, flawless. Perfect. All that he lost sight of. He saw her, and I'm telling you, that was the end of it all. Man, this is flesh of my flesh. This is bone of my bone. I'm going to call her woman. You know, like, whoa, man. Let's <laughs> a loose translation there. Real loose. I mean, he was excited. How many of you know that? How many of you know that he was excited? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, God set this thing in motion. We didn't do it. God put those things in there. We didn't do it. If God didn't want it, He wouldn't have done it. But He wanted it. He made it this way. To love one another. To have pleasure with one another. God made it that way. He set it all in motion. See? But once man be fell, he, be he lost sight of all that. Became selfish, self-centered, and self-willed. Fell from that perfect environment and everything became chaotic. We understand that too. So we understand that even though we have those feelings, those feelings that we call love do not necessitate, as far as we're concerned, the deepest kind of love that a man should have or will have in his life. But we have those feelings there because God set those things in motion. So just because, you know, you have feelings out there, young people, don't be fooled by those feelings. And don't have a false peace in your heart about the mate that you choose. 
Because if that person that you choose does not know God and does not want to serve God, you better do something about your feelings and get yourself lined up with the Word of God and find the person out there that knows God, that loves God, and will want to serve God. Now, the other type of love is storge in the Greek. It's S-T-O-R-G-E, storge in the Greek. And what it means is compatibility. Compatibility. In other words, we can have certain likes and dislikes. We're unique people. We have certain likes and certain dislikes. Well, when a person decides to set his love upon another person or God, it is important that what? That those two people discover what each other likes or does not like. And they make a decision to become compatible with one another so that they can further their love for one another. It's not just being physically attracted to somebody and that is the end of it all, in other words. You can have that with a multitude out there. But the thing is, we make a decision to love somebody and therefore... We make the decision to change our lives to be compatible with that person. When it comes to God and our relationship with Him, when you became a child of God, it was because you responded to love, right? God loved you, and then you loved Him. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. But did you notice that once you made the decision to love God, there were certain things in your life and my life that He didn't like? He loves us. But there are certain things that we maybe were engaged in or things that we did or still do that he doesn't like. So you find out what God likes and what God doesn't like. Why? So that we can be compatible. I want to do what he likes. And you should want to do what he likes. So that we can become compatible with him. Same thing is true in a marital relationship. Each one should be given to the other so that... You can please one another. If we find out there are certain dislikes that we have, then we want to get rid of that. And don't build on that, because you can't build on that. It's a decision not to be selfish or not to be self-centered and to do your own thing, but to blend lives together to become one. And if it means that I've got to get rid of some things that he or she doesn't like, then we do that. And we change. Just as we change in our relationship with God the Father. How many of you are more changed today than you were when you first accepted Christ? Well, if you're growing at all, you should be. See, it was nothing as far as coming to Christ and accepting Christ into your heart and life. You didn't have to give up a thing. But the moment you became a child of God, if you were truly born again, you made certain decisions to give up those things that were displeasing to God to become more compatible. Then there is a next word called phileo. P-H-I-L-E-O, and that in the Greek, phileo, means natural human affection. We understand that. That natural human affection is the highest type of human love that a human being can possess. This kind of love is responsive and it's based on emotional feelings and physical evidences or desires. The one who is not born again does not possess divine love or the last love, agape love, he only possesses natural human love. So he is limited as to how far he or she can experience love. So let's remember that. This love is responsive. It's based on natural feelings and emotions. For an example, 
in the dating process and during the dating time, each person will put his or her best foot forward to make the right impression upon the person that he or she is attracted to. And as time goes on, I mean, there are flowers. I mean, there is candy. I mean, there are love notes and cards and all these different things. And all, she sees you as the Superman, the wonderful one. I mean, oh my goodness, here's her knight in shining armor. This guy can do no wrong. I mean, this, my goodness, this person is, is you know, as far as she is concerned, the only perfect human being upon the face of the earth. That's only at the beginning. You don't know him yet. And as far as she is concerned, you know, we say love is blind. Let's, let's correct that. Phileo is blind. Phileo is blind. Because, you see, because he was doing all that, she was responding. See, this love is responsive. She was responding. You get me a bag of candy or a box of candy, I'll make you a nice meal. What do you like? You do a love deed for me, I'll do a love deed for you. Buy you a gift or whatever. And during that process of time, the dating process, that's exactly what takes place. That's what goes on. People wonder why once people get married, it seems like the honeymoon is over. Well, people, they figured I've got my catch now. Don't have to put my best foot forward anymore. Then you find out there's another side to that person that you married that you didn't know about that wasn't revealed during the dating process. All of a sudden, we begin to let down our guard. All of a sudden, we don't come home with flowers. We come home with murmuring and complaining. Hard day at the office. Been tough. And all of a sudden, here she is at home. Hair almost in place, but the kids have half of it pulled out. (laughs) Supper would have been on this table, but it's burning in the oven. And her day just wasn't all that great. And when he comes home wondering why the supper's not on the table, and his day was rough and hard and all that, and he's ready to eat. And she's got one under the arm and, and you know, hair half pulled out and it's burning in the oven and the phone was ringing and the, and the fella came to check the water meter and all these different things going on at the same time. And then, you want to see how responsive that kind of love can be? Put them two together and that's all there is to it. Look out. Where's the food? Burn in the oven. You want to climb in with it? <laughs> you prayed for my boldness. Either stop or wear your shoes. But, but that's what happens. That's what phileo does. That's why there's so many divorces out there. Because we only build on something that is going to fail. Phileo love is not enough to see us through and, not fulfill, and fulfill the, the plan of God. Let's put it that way. You're not going to fulfill the plan of God by operating in phileo love. It's just not now, we need to have that kind of love because we need to respond to one another. But we need to rise up above that kind of love and also enter into this realm of agape love, which is divine love which is aggressive love, which is not based on feelings or emotion, but based on a decision of the will. 
Love, God's divine love, agape love, that energizes our faith, is not based on decision. I'm sorry, not based on emotion or feeling. It's based on a decision of the will. I choose to love you. It is unconditional love. It is not responsive love. You want to talk about something that's not easy? When someone is in your face doing terrible things to you, calling you names and criticizing you and all that, for you to stand there and say, I love you with unconditional love. I'm not going to respond to all that negative I'm going to respond in a loving way, in a kind way, knowing that by so doing, I will heap coals of fire upon your head. God's love, phileo, is not like phileo love, responsive. It is is aggressive love. It is constantly being poured out, constantly seeking to, to find someone and cause peace. For God so agape the world, not phileo the world. God so agape the world. The world was not loving God. God wasn't responding to the world's love. The world did not love God. He looked down upon the earth. He saw the heart of man was wicked. There was no response. Man was not loving God. And so he had to wipe him off the face of the earth. Finally, love came in manifestation upon this earth. God loved the world in the form of Jesus Christ, His Son. Love was constantly giving of itself. For what purpose? To cause peace, to cause harmony, to redeem us. God loved with aggressive love. God loved with unconditional love. God did not act upon his feelings. If he did, look out, the whole world would have been destroyed. You say, well, why did the flood happen? Because those people went so far that he is also a God of judgment. And judgment had to take place. Otherwise, all of man would have been doomed. And so, in that sense, that is still an act of love. Can you see that? Because he didn't want everyone to be destroyed eternally. But the point being is that agape love, which is the highest type of love, is an aggressive type of love. It's unconditional. It is the love that energizes our faith. In other words, God's love should be the motivating force behind all the activity in the body of Christ. God's love should be that which energizes what we say, our words of faith, and our actions, what we do. But once again, notice this. If our faith is going to be productive, it is going to have to be energized by divine love, not these others. Now, we need these others Because we are tripart beings. But we need to understand and be developed in the love of God. Divine love. Well, how do I understand the love of God? How do I become developed in the love of God? Well, you've got to look to the Word because we have no revelation of that kind of love. We can't identify with that kind of love. We can't understand or know about that kind of love apart from the revelation of the Word. It is the Word that reveals to us how God acts. God's heart is revealed. His motives are revealed. His attitudes are revealed. And that, of course, enables us to understand divine love. When the Bible says, love your enemies, think about that. Who loves their enemies? How do I love my enemy? Bless those that curse you, or speak well of those that speak evil of you. Do good to those that hate you. And pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. 
That's what God says to do. But that goes against my feelings, Lord. When someone is there hating me, persecuting me, criticizing me, ridiculing me, mocking me, scoffing me, and all these different things, what does your flesh do? Does your flesh respond favorably? No. Your flesh, like my flesh, responds unfavorably. And if Christians acted on their emotional feelings, they would respond in anger and outrage. And God only knows what could take place. But we are to be controlled by another force. Not that force, but by the force of divine love. Divine love is to be developed in the life of every child of God so that that love can integrate and make us a powerful force for God on the earth. So we must look into what the Word says about it. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. And let's just look at a few things that pertain to this type of love that is to energize our faith. Now, it's impossible for me to preach or teach everything that pertains to divine love. I can't do that in one service, obviously. We have tapes, though, in the library that talk about agape love, the divine love of God. And for those of you that are out there, you say, I've heard this teaching before. You know what? You're still going to be blessed by it this morning. But I'll tell you something else. There, be, there are others out, that are out here right now today that have not heard that kind of teaching on divine love. And they need to hear about agape love. So, be blessed if you've heard it before and have it renewed or refreshed in your mind. And if you've not heard it before, listen to what God's Word says about it. And then make your decision. Agape love is a decision based on the will of an individual. I choose to love God. How many of you have chosen to set your love on God? Is it always your feeling that wants to love God every day? How many of you will agree with me you can wake up day after day and not have feeling as far as emotional feelings about loving God? Absolutely. And if you're honest with yourself, you can even say, as far as feeling is concerned, how do you say, I feel like I love you to another person? Love, God's love that we are to be developed in, is based not on feeling or emotion. It is based on decision. Now listen carefully. That decision causes me to act a certain way. The decision, coupled with action, will always produce feeling. If you feel as though that you're in a situation where love is at low ebb, base your decision to love on the Word of God and your relationship with God, not on your feeling, and begin to act accordingly, and then feeling will always come. Do you see that? Feeling then will come. Don't base whether or not you love someone on feeling alone. It's not enough. So then agape love is a decision to love. It is a decision to love people. Don't give up on people. Love people not because you feel like loving people. Love people because you are a child of God committed to divine love. And I have to emphasize this this morning, beloved. I have heard so many saying lately, I'm giving up on people. I'm giving up on people. And they're talking about Christians. I'm giving up on people. People are this and people are that and people are this and people are that. I think some people think that once one becomes a Christian, they stop being a human being also. We have flesh to contend with. 
We have emotions to contend with. We have selfishness to contend with. Each and every one of us. And if we were all judged according to our feelings and emotions and shortcomings and flaws and faults and failures, beloved, where would any of us be in the sight of God? So then the Bible says we are not to know one another after the flesh. We are to know one another after the Spirit. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, born of the Spirit. And we are committed to walking in divine love. And it's not based on my feelings or yours. It's based on my decision, an act of my will. And then I act accordingly. In other words, I do what love would do. And then you know what? If you do that long enough, feelings then will come to you and you'll have feelings toward people. This verse says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 1 John 4, 7. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's verse 8. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him, here it is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Each of us, as far as God is concerned, is being loved equally by God, but also we are to love one another with the same love that God loves us with. Concerning agape love. Now, please take note of this carefully. Each and every one of us, whether we realize it or not, we are being loved by God. You know as well as I do that God must be loving us with divine love. Because if He was responding according to how we are, we'd be consumed by the fire of His holiness. But He loves us with eternal love, divine love, that is aggressive love. Meaning at times, he looks the other way and has mercy upon us when we do wrong in his sight. Giving us the opportunity to ask for forgiveness and come back into fellowship with him. Amen. Aren't you thankful that he loves us that way? Absolutely. But he also says here, look, let's read it again. Verse 7. Beloved, now let us love one another. And again, if you read this chapter and, and just do a study with the Greek words, you'll find out he's talking about agape love, divine love. Beloved, beloved let us love agape. Agapao is the word there. 25 and 26 you'll find in your strongest accordance, number 25 and 26. And it's talking about divine love. Let us love one another. Not, you're not going to eros one another because you're not going to be physically attracted to all people. Did you know that? How many of you know that? You're not physically attracted to every person that's out there. As far as compatibility is concerned, why would you want to work to become compatible with someone that you're not physically attracted to? And if there's no reason for it. You're going to do that with your mate because you're blending your lives to, together to become one. Amen? See, he's not talking about that. He's talking about we are to love one another with the same kind of love that loved us. We have been loved by God. We are being loved by God the Father with agape love, divine love. We in turn are to love one another with the same kind of love. And if we understand that, beloved, those two truths will energize our faith beyond measure. 
if we will walk in the realm of God's divine love toward us and then walk in the realm of love toward other people, our faith life will be energized. And I mean to tell you, become powerful, creative ability will be released through our lives. Because we're walking with the program of God and in light of God's will for our lives. So here it says that, beloved, let us love one another. Because God is love. Our love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God. Now notice this. There are many who are born of God, but many don't really know Him. If they knew Him, they wouldn't be thinking the way they think. Notice it's those that understand love that know God. Everyone that loveth who practice divine, who practice divine love is born of God and knows God. He that love not, that does not practice divine love, once again, divine love, we have to clarify that. Because you're not going to practice, like the world would think today, a physical, sexual type of love with every person. You're not going to become compatible with those that are out there that you're not one with. Unless you're having a work relationship, then there's certain things you're going to have to do to become more compatible. But when it comes to loving people, loving one another, this is referring to divine love. Unconditional love that rises up inside a man's spirit. That enables us to love people, not by feeling and emotion, but by decision. Because we're one in the Lord. He that loveth not doesn't know God because God is love. And then it talks about how God loved us once again. So we see here God is loving us. He sent Jesus. He acted to die for us with agape love. We in turn are to take that love that's been deposited into our hearts by His Spirit. Romans 5, 5 talks about that hope maketh not a shame. But the love of God, divine love, has been imparted to our spirits by the Spirit that is given to us. Shed abroad in our hearts. With that love, we are to be developed and with that love, we are to love one another as He loved us so our faith can be energized. And John, just write it down. Don't have to turn to it. 13, verses 34 and 35, the Bible says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another. Again, He is talking about the highest form of love. The decision to love. Making the decision to love and act accordingly. That you love one another. Now how? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. That the world may know that you're my disciples. Once again, it is this kind of love that we are to love one another with. We are all under a divine mandate given by God for us to love one another with the same love that we have been loved with by God. Now turn with me, if you would, to John 16. John's Gospel, chapter 16. We are being loved by God, and we are also under a divine mandate to love one another with the same type of love. And if we'll begin to find out what that means, discovering what it means to be loved by God, and discovering what it means to love one another, and begin to operate in that realm of love, that's the realm of the miraculous. That's the realm where faith is energized. That's the realm where the supernatural gets involved with the natural. That is giving God who is love access through our lives. In John chapter 16 and verse 27, we read, For the Father Himself... I want you to notice something here. We have to back it up to get the full understanding and the full importance of what Jesus is saying here. In verse 23, He says, In that day you shall ask Me nothing. 
Very, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What does it mean for me to be loved by the Father? Well, let's listen. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. How many of you want to be full of joy? Or do you enjoy being full of mourning and complaining and, and murmuring and crying and all that? No, sorrow. No, that's, not, that's nothing you know, that we want. Well, these things have I spoken to you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. Not to this time. He's saying there's coming a day. After this time I've been praying for you. You know why? Because the Father loves me. Jesus, is, if, you, if you read through it all, you'll find out that because the Father loved Jesus and was pleased with Jesus in his life, and whatever he asked the Father, he says the Father does for me. Didn't Jesus say that? Well, you ready for this? At that day, he says, you're going to ask me nothing. Why? That's not ask me anything. Why? You ready for this? For the Father, look at the next verse. For the Father himself loveth you. Because you have loved me and believe that I came out from God. Did you see what he just said there? You don't have to depend on me to ask the Father for you anymore. Because at that day, the day of the new birth, the day of the regeneration, the day when your heart is recreated and once again you are reunited with the Father, you won't have to ask me to pray to the Father for you. You can pray to the Father for yourself. He will hear you because He loves you. For the Father Himself loveth you. The first time I got revelation from that scripture, I was sitting at Rama Bible Training Center on a chair. And as I was sitting there, Brother Hagin was teaching from his book, Growing Up Spiritually. He was teaching truths concerning the Father's love and care for his children. And I sat there. I was being blessed by what he was saying. But he turned to that portion of Scripture. And I read it, For the Father himself loveth you. And as I was sitting there, all of a sudden, I, my, my senses were suspended. I was like lifted up to a higher plane of spiritual awareness. I was really, I lost sight of all those who were around me. I mean, I can hear his voice. He was still teaching. And I knew there were people around me, but I was not as conscious of that as I was of what was taking place in my spirit and around me in the spiritual realm. It was as if these words kept ringing out, the Father Himself loves you. The Father Himself loves you. And I began to say, the Father Himself loves me. The Father Himself loves me. And as I kept saying that within myself and hearing that, everything else was, as I said, just shut out. And everything else became indistinct. The thing that I was aware of was I was in a realm where I was engulfed by the love of God. The love of God surrounded me. It became a reality on the inside of me. And as I said, tears were in my eyes. I just didn't know how to respond or how to act. I knew then of a truth. The Father God, the Creator God of all the world, loves me. That's a scripture that should be meditated, beloved. By every child of God. You know why? There isn't anything that will give your faith a booster shot like knowing that the Father really, really loves you. Just the way you are. He loves you. And Jesus said He loves you. See, when we begin to understand that, beloved, it changes our attitude. It changes everything about us. It helps us deal with the low self-image and the low self-esteem and the low self-worth and all that stuff. That holds us in fearful bondage and prevents us from, from succeeding in things in life. Say it with me. The Father loves me. The Father Himself loves me and cares for me as an individual person.
because I love Jesus. And I believe that He came out from God. See, you believe that and the Father then Himself absolutely loves you. With this kind of love. Beloved, if He loved you when you were a sinner and cared for you while you were a sinner and provided Jesus for you as a sinner and me, how much more? How much more? Now that we're washed in the blood, how much more now that we're sanctified will the Father do for us? Those of us that He calls my children. You ready for another scripture in connection with that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Say it with me. I am the temple of the living God. And my Father God loves me. As God has said, now look at this. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you and will be a father unto you. I will be a father unto you. The Father God, the Creator God of all mankind wants to be a father unto you. Wants to assume the place of a father in your life. The position of a father in our lives. He wants to be a father to us. That's something more than just being God. Do you understand that? That's something more than just being the God of the universe. He wants to be a father to you and to me. What does that mean? What does it mean to my heart? What does that mean to my life, to your life? What should it mean to our lives? He says, I will be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. Oh, what does it mean for him to be our father? Look at James 1.17 real quick. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. What does it mean he wants to be a father to me? As a father, he wants to give good gifts to his children. As a father, he wants to give perfect gifts unto his children. Every good and every perfect gift from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He doesn't vary any. He loves us all equally. In verse 18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. It was a decision of God's will to give birth to you because of his love. To give birth to me. And because He has given birth to us, we are His sons and daughters. His very temple, His dwelling place, He wants to live in us for what purpose? To be a father to us. Can you understand that? To be a father to us. Not just God, but a father. To give every good and perfect gift from above. And there's no variable, there's no shadow of turning. What's it mean? He's the father of life. Boy, am I glad you asked. Quickly, Psalms 84 and verse 11. What does it mean he's the father of life? I don't understand that. He's the father of life. Light is that which makes visibility possible. Light is that which supports all life upon this earth and sustains all life upon this earth. Without it, we have nothing. In Psalms 84, verse 11, speaking of our loving Heavenly Father, who is our God and our Father, what does it mean that the Father Himself loves me? What does it mean He wants to play a Father's role in my life? He doesn't just want to be my God, He's my Father also that gave birth to me and to you. Now listen what it says. As the Father of lights, He is a sun and shield. 
Verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. This scripture, or this verse, this text, reveals to us four things. Make note of these four things, and then we'll close. Four things. Number one, it reveals to us who God is. He is a sun and shield. It reveals to us what He does. He gives us grace and glory. As a sun and shield, He gives us grace and glory. Now notice this. It reveals to us what He doesn't do. No good thing will He withhold, just like every good father. He does not withhold good things from His children. And number four, it reveals what we are to do, what we should do to them that walk uprightly. The Lord our God, who, what, who is He? He is a sun. What is He? He is a sun and a shield. As the Father of lights, there is beaming from His presence rays of sunlight of His love to support human life upon this earth, to sustain every form of human life and also all types of life. Because He brought forth all things. But as a sun and shield, what does He give? He gives grace. God's grace. Something that we don't deserve to sustain us and glory to protect us. And what that means is the twofold thing. As a sun and shield, He gives us provisions and He gives us protection. As a Father, He wants to provide. As a Father, He wants to protect. What father doesn't want to provide? What father doesn't want to protect? As a sun and shield, he gives grace to provide. He gives us glory to shield or to protect. His glory acts as a shield around us. He's the glory and the lifter of our heads. He says he'll encompass us about with a big shield. Why? To protect us. As our father, he loves us so much. As a son and shield, a father of light, he gives us grace to provide all that is necessary to sustain us and to support us in every realm of life. And also, glory as a shield to protect us. Remember when Jesus, when he prayed to the Father, he says, Father, I pray not that you take them from the world, out of the world, but that you do what? Keep them from the evil one. What does that mean? If you look it up in the Greek, the word keep, that means to protect from all loss, harm, damage, or injury by keeping your eye upon them. That's pretty good. Wherever you go, His eye is on you. Why? To protect you from all loss, harm, damage, or injury. Isn't that what a father wants to do? To protect his children? You see what it'll do for your faith life? Oh, it'll energize your faith. My father is watching over me. Glory to God. I have a minute here, a quick testimony. Let's, let's real quick here, and I'm going to give this quick testimony. For the Lord God is a son and shield that gives us grace and glory. And then thirdly, no good thing will He withhold. He doesn't withhold anything that's good. Healing is good. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Deliverance is good. Jesus delivered all those that were oppressed of the devil. All these things that are good, He doesn't withhold. He does not withhold. God is not withholding. Our Father is not withholding what is good. He's always giving. But notice this last part. To them who walk uprightly. Those who walk uprightly. Our part is to walk uprightly. And I want to get to that because that is the part where we are to love one another with divine love. But before... Probably pick it up next week. Before we do that, let me give a quick testimony about a fellow brother in the Lord who knew God. And he knew the goodness of God. He knew him personally. He knew him intimately. And he studied about faith and he loved people. And he was out in missionary work. 
endeavoring to do the will of God for his life. And he knew him so well that he was a sun and shield. The one who provided all that he needed. And also one that protected him from all loss, harm, damage or injury. When he found himself in a situation where he was driving in a car with someone that he had picked up who was going to kill him. Put a gun to his head and said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life. He sat there in that car, looked at that fellow and said, there's no possible way. You cannot kill me. You cannot kill me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that fellow said, you must be a nut or something because I've killed other missionaries and you're the next one. He hated missionaries. He's going to kill them. And that's all there was to it as far as he was concerned. And he says, I don't know what the other person believed, but I'm telling you right now. I know that you cannot take my life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew his father God was a sun and shield. He provided what was necessary, but he also protected. You know what, beloved? We need to rise up and know our God protects us. And there he was. I mean, as far as the guy was concerned, sure death. But as far as he was concerned, you cannot kill me. Made the man to make it short, get out of the car. Stood off by the side of the field. And said, take, it, take off all his clothes, want to rob, take all the things that he had to rob him and then kill him. And he says, not only can you not kill me, you also cannot rob me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this guy thought this, he was a lunatic. Finally, he was fed up with it. And he shot. Emptied his gun. The gun emptied on the ground below. Could not pierce him. Could not touch him. And the fellow stood there, looked at him and said, I told you he couldn't kill me. Do you believe me now? I guess you would after emptying your gun and, it, and it's, that's it. You, can't, you couldn't even pierce him. That man knew his God. That man knew his father as one who was the protector of his children. That's what it means to know that God loves us. Right there. That was his confession of faith. He said, I'm not belittling the other one who was a missionary also who gave his life up for Christ. He said, not at all. He said, I don't know what he believed, but I know what I believe. And he believed that his father God was a son and shield. Not just a son, but also a shield. And said, you will not take my life. You cannot take my life and you cannot rob me. He was even kind enough to take that fellow and drop him off where he wanted to go. That's the epitome of divine love. What does it mean to, to have our faith energized by love? It's to know how much God loves us. That our faith just springs out of that heart of knowing that God loves us. Stay with me. My Father God loves me. Let's all stand together. My Father God loves me. My Father God is a son and shield who gives me grace and glory, provision and protection. No good thing will He withhold from me as I walk uprightly. Something to meditate on. Something to, to digest spiritually. Amen. No good thing. Hallelujah. There's a whole lot more. We're just going to have to. We're not going to end. We're just going to cut it off right here. There's a Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now. And I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith 
and experience. God bless.